Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Good to see you this morning. All of you, is it good to be seen this morning? Can you hear me this morning? What about in the back? Can you hear me this morning? All right, there we go. My back row Baptist, sorry, I'm just kidding, not, not really, but back row people, not just what that means. Hey, I'm really excited to be here today as well, starting a brand new series, and also excited to talk about people who are uh, taking some next steps in their faith. So I just want to just uh, lift up right now Tom Marins and where's Ashley, Ashley Alvey and Tom Marins. If you guys would stand up, where there, there you go, both on the same side. Yeah, these are our two newest covenant members of Calvary Baptist Church. Awesome, 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 awesome. You guys can be seated. Um, so I just love celebrating next steps, and I love celebrating what God is doing in people's lives uh, individually, and, and I love to even pray for people as, as they would want me to pray for them just so I can celebrate wins because God answers prayer. Amen. Our prayers aren't empty, they're, they're not void, they don't just go up and then just, you know, disappear up in the sky. God hears, God knows, and God responds in the way that He sees fit, and I rejoice in Him and rejoice in that fact. Well, we are beginning a brand new series, and just as Marla said a moment ago, and I feel really inspired by what you said, I know, because the last series was, was called what? Shiny Happy People. This series is called Kingdom People, and I'm looking for a name for the next series, and I'm thinking Village People. I'm not really sure, though. <laughs> what do you think? Is that a hard sell? Is that, is that good? We'll go with, I don't know. And then you're like, who's the Indian? No, we're not doing that, okay? We're not doing that. And you're like, I know who the sailor is. Not doing that either, just so you know. Anyway, in the Kingdom People, this is a brand new concept, really. Multiple concepts are going to be new in this series, which is great. And following up last, the last series, it's really key that we zone into what's going on here because we spent the last seven weeks tilling the soul, so to speak, and how, looking at how God interacted with, with some Pharisees and teachers of the law, people who, they thought, or people who thought they were better than everyone else, and they thought that they were the gatekeepers of truth, and just one by one, Jesus gave these seven woes, just tearing down the false belief that they had, and and also at the end, and we, we saw this last week, there's, there's also uh, not just judgment in his words, but also hopefulness. And there's, there's mercy at the end of that passage in Matthew 23. But I'm done preaching that, and I'm ready to preach something else. Amen? But we had to go there so we can talk about where we're going to be in the future. Because if we're going to talk about what it means to be kingdom people, also we have to have our hearts right before God. Many of you are look at this and you're like, okay, kingdom people, I just, I, I'm already off because I don't like have a kingdom. I want you to know that you do, you do indeed have a kingdom. You do. All of us have a kingdom. doesn't even matter if you're a Christian, you have a kingdom. If you grew up and you had a bedroom that was yours, that was your kingdom. Because that was an area of life where you got to decide what it would be like. If you remember your first car, who remembers their first car? Who spent a lot of money on their first car trying to keep that thing going, right? Like, but, yeah, thank you, thank you. But the thing is about that first car, it was yours. 
And although it could have smelled like death inside, you put air fresheners and then it was yours. And then you just covered up that smell with whatever it was. And then and you drive around and you're proud of it because everything about that car was yours. That was, that was a bit of your kingdom because you could exercise your will inside that space. I remember when Marla and I first got married, we both got married at 19, which means we knew everything. That's what that means when you get married at 19. We had life figured out. Um, and then I think it was like two days later, we realized we didn't have it all figured out. But so we got married really young, and, and I was in the Navy, and when um, I went off to my duty station right after my schooling, we had gotten married in between, and we spent our honeymoon, the glorious honeymoon, here for a couple of days, and then driving to Florida, not to be in a resort, not to do any of that, but for me to go to work. But I, I remember we had our first space. Remember this, babe? We had our apartment, one-bedroom apartment. It was ours. We, we had a lot of used furniture. We had a couch that was being held up by a can of vegetables, true story. It was missing a leg, but it was ours. And, and then we found that when we moved, and it was still there, except it was open. So that was gross, but it was ours. So it was ours. And much of the furniture we had, like I said, was just, you know, it was just given to us, and it was all used. And our end tables were actually cardboard boxes that we used to move and we just draped some things over them and then that, those were our, our end tables. You got to be resourceful when you're broke. You know what I mean? And, but here's the thing. When I would come home from work and I would go inside of that apartment, I just had a sense of this is ours. Of course, we gave it back to them a year later because the lease ran out, but it was ours. We got to do what we wanted, decorate how we wanted. We had our stuff. I had my first grill and it was, just, it was just amazing because this was my area. This still continues today when if you have a house or you have a car, or you just have an area in your room or you just have a cubicle, God has given you a sphere, a kingdom to exercise authority and also to be an extension of his will. If we're kingdom people, we have to come to terms with the fact that, that he has given us influence for a reason. And the influence that he's given us isn't, isn't maybe what we thought it was, but instead it's something, it's so much deeper and so much richer, and we're going to see that in this series. How do I know, and like we go into this and we talk about how this, the transition of will happens, because we all have a will, meaning that we can choose to do something in a kingdom to exercise our will, and yet to be kingdom people means this. Kingdom people means this. Romans 10, 9 begins in this passage. It says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him, that's Jesus, will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for the same He's the same Lord, is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When someone gives their life to Jesus, they're not just asking Jesus to save their soul. They're also admitting that Jesus is now their Lord. That, lo that word Lord means master or ruler, which means that no longer do we live small, self-contained lives if we're in Christ. 
If we're kingdom people, our lives are not small and, and just contained to ourselves. Instead, we are now working with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And now we pray, as he taught us to pray, that his will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. So we get to participate with God. And now everywhere we go, God has given us influence to expand his kingdom. To expand his kingdom. The good news is this, your life isn't just about you. Because if our lives were just about us, it's a really small life. And when you think about it, our lives would be really small and insignificant if it was just about us. But God, what God does through the gospel message is he takes us from where we are, a really small message, and he allows us to partner with him to get into the grand story of the gospel message. Because people of the gospel of Jesus Christ are people of the kingdom. People of the gospel of Jesus Christ are people of the kingdom. Well, you may say, well, pastor, that's, that's really neat. Like, I, I kind of thought that. Well, I want to just dig into this idea a little further, and we're eventually going to land on Jeremiah 19, or 29, excuse me, where we're going to get much of our application but I, wanna, I want you to know that there's some other gospels, some, some lesser gospels that are at work right now that could be pitfalls for us to not become the kingdom people that God wants us to become. Because people of the gospel of Jesus Christ are indeed people of the kingdom. There's some other gospels, lesser gospels at work, and it, one of them is the gospel of souls. It's this idea, if we could just get them saved, we used to use the, the term soul winning. Who remembers that term soul winning from decades ago? Soul winning, soul winning, soul winning. It's all about decisions, decisions, decisions. And what was lacking in many of those stories is discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. Where it was like converting souls and we're going to win souls and it's the gospel of the soul. Unfortunately, where that has led a lot of people into a sense of of, of a skewed version of what it means to actually to be a follower of Jesus at all. Because while the gospel of the soul says that God wants to save your heart, he wants to save your soul, which is true, it almost so makes it sound like, well, now we're just waiting until, until we die for the gospel of the soul to kick in for us to go to heaven. Because that's what many people have wrongfully believed. It's like, well, I, I gave my life to Jesus, and, and now I'm saved. I got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven in other words, I'm done. We're not done. We're going to see that, see that in this series. There's all, another lesser gospel. It's the gospel of the church. It goes really well with the gospel of the soul, by the way. And it goes like this. Well, God's got his people. And they all need to stick together because the fallen world is really fallen and sick. And eventually, they're just going to burn in hell. So, so if they're going to eventually burn in hell, what we need to do is we just need to come to church. We need to gather together as much as we can. And, and, we, just, and we just know that when we're together, everything's great, but the world is dark outside the walls. So just come to church, and everything's going to be great. We live most of our lives outside these walls, don't we? I'm so glad that God's influence... What he wants to do in our lives isn't just contained to these walls. As great as technology is, and if you're tuning in at home or somewhere else, 
I'm glad that you're here, but you know what? There's, it's, it's good to be in the room, isn't it? And there's something special about being in the room, but as great as, as technology is to be able to broadcast this to wherever in the world, it's not just about this room. It's also about what God wants to do beyond this room. There's another gospel that's a lesser gospel. One we talked about in the last series, and it's the gospel of religion. It goes like this. You're a terrible sinner, and God's mad, so try harder. Pretty simple, right? The gospel of religion. Isn't that what we think religion to be? You're a sinner. God's mad. Try harder. Well, what happens if I don't meet that expectation? We'll try a little harder. Well, what happens if I just don't meet God's expectation? We'll just try a little harder. And now what's common in our world is the gospel of justice. And you hear the the terms woke and you hear, hear the terms critical theory. And it's this idea that all the systems are broke. If we just change the system, everything's going to be made right. But what is absent in that message is there needs to be a change of heart. Sure, some systems need to be changed, but we have to have a change of heart. And in all those systems, we could change all those systems, but if we don't change the heart, the system is still corrupt. These are all lesser gospels. This isn't the true gospel message The true gospel message is rooted in in Jesus Christ who died for sinners like you and me that we could not do things on our own. We we, we could never reach a level of righteousness on our own. We couldn't clean our lives up on our own. We couldn't attend church enough on our own. We couldn't serve enough. We couldn't give enough for God to look at us and say your sins are forgiven. In other words, what had to happen is Jesus had to, to step down from heaven, come to earth, and to live a perfect life, a sinless life, die on the cross for sinners like you and I. And we have to come to terms with who we are. We are sinners. We're in need of grace, but the grace of Jesus Christ comes by way of the gospel message of asking Jesus to come into your life and confessing that you're a sinner and acknowledging that he's God and that he is Lord. Once that happens, once that truly happens, you come to terms with this reality. Jesus has dominion over every aspect of his creation. Jesus has dominion over every aspect of his creation. Every aspect of his creation. And the more you know Christ and and the deeper that you get in your faith, not the more saved you will be. That's not what I'm saying. Because once you're saved, you're always saved and Jesus keeps you saved. You couldn't get yourself saved. He saves. But once you do that, the more that you get to know Jesus, the more you realize that he has dominion over every aspect of his creation. Everything is under Jesus' control. Where we said, and I think that there's, there's so much about this that we have to come to terms with, and, and it would help us to live the life that God wants us to live, a life that's rich and blessed and merciful and kind and graceful and loving. A life that, that has the ability to, to forgive. A life that is, is rooted in this divine connection with God, so then that divine connection with God then just flows out of us. It just radiates out of us. That we're defined by his grace and we help others to be defined by God's grace too. 
But yet, it takes more than that because many of us, we, we, we sit back and you may know a bunch of things intellectually, but you have to let things sink deep into your heart because there's so much going on in our world today that could cause us to fear. Fear can overwhelm faith if we lose sight of who's on the throne. Fear, the fear that is, that is all around us, that's one click away, it's, it's on your news feed, on your phone, it's on the 10 o'clock news every single night, there's a bout and there's a temptation to fear. And fear can overwhelm faith if we lose sight of who's on the throne. We, be, we can become fearful because of who's in office, fearful because they're in office and not the other person's in office, fearful that all the government is corrupt, fearful that, that they're just going to take more and more tax money, fearful that they're just going to take our guns, fearful that the, that the country is changing and it's never going to be what we once thought that it would be. Fearful that there's such a moral decline that there's it, that, that we're falling downhill so fast that we could never get it back. And yet, if our, if, our, if our inclination is to be in that way, we're already on the defensive and we're actually falling away from what God wants for us. God wants us to stand upright and live by faith and recognize the cause of our fear. There's an amazing story in the Bible that talks about this. The prophet Jeremiah, and I welcome you to open up your Bible to Jeremiah 29. It's an amazing account of people who are living in the midst of a, of a situation like ours. The people of God had turned away from God again. If you've read it much in the Old Testament, you know that that was just a cycle, wasn't it? It's just like, oh, God, I love you. God, I disobey you. And then God brings about judgment, and then they repent. And God, I love you. And it's just a cycle over and over and over again. They're in the middle of one of those downward cycles. The prophet Jeremiah, he, he was a prophet in the city of Jerusalem at near about the same time as Ezekiel was a prophet to the exiles. So if you're like not knowing the Bible and you want to know more about it, here's a little cheat so you understand that. Jeremiah begins with J and he prophesied in Jerusalem. Ezekiel begins with E and he prophesied to the exiles, the same, it's around the same time period. Both of them were prophets. Now we're going to look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah's story is interesting because when God called him, he felt very <laughs> ill-equipped to receive the call. This is what is said in Jeremiah 1.6. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. So God called him and and, and that can be translated child or young or youth, so we don't know what the best translation of that is. I'm reading from the, the NIV, and some of your translations say young or youth. But what we do know is this. Jeremiah felt in that moment really small, and God gave him an opportunity that was really big, and he was wondering, how am I going to measure up to what God wants? He's like, what, are, what am I supposed to do? He's like, I'm not equipped to do this. This is, a, this is an immense task that's in front of me. God, what do you want me to do? What's my place in the middle of this story? You see, the people of God had received a message through Jeremiah 
that was different than what they heard before. God gave Jeremiah the message. Jeremiah gave the people the message of that this is what's going to happen. You've walked away from God, and the best thing you can do is stay right where you are and don't fight the Babylonians. Don't fight the evil oppressors. If you fight, God said, if you fight the evil oppressors, you will die. But if you don't fight them, you will live. And you will make it through this captivity. And they were told that it was going to be 70 years that they were going to be under this captivity. And if they would simply embrace the fact that God sent an evil king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, who was a Babylonian, he had sent them, he had sent them into the city of Jerusalem. And now he's telling the people of Jerusalem, here's the grace element of this. He's like, just stay put, live your life. Don't fight him. If you fight him, you're going to die because by fighting them, you're actually fighting me. So now they're in the middle of this, and, and this would have been a message that was shocking to them. As a matter of fact, the, the person who would become the king at this time, Zedekiah, also became an enemy of Jeremiah because he simply did not believe this message. He simply did not believe what Jeremiah was saying. We're going to read in verses 29, 1 through 14. I'm only going to look at one verse today. And we're going to spend the rest of the month of October actually looking at this. But I want to read all of this in context this morning. Jeremiah 29, verse 1 says this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisah, son of Shaphan, and to Gemirah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Aren't you glad I get to read these names? I know you are. I know you are. Some of you, when I start reading these names, you should be praying for me. That's what you should be praying for. It's not easy. Verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you, in, to, you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Verse 10. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with, your, with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and you will, and I, excuse me, and will bring you back from captivity. 
I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So that's a fuller picture of what's going on. And we're going to land on one, one verse. It's verse 4. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time together. Verse 4 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the word Elohim, meaning originator and ruler of the universe. In the most basic sense, you could think of that term of how God is referring to himself as the Lord of everything and more powerful than everything. It's this name that's being told to the people of God in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So he's identifying a people. The word exile is not a word that we use very often and we hear the, word, the words like refugee, those types of words, but an exile is different than a refugee. Because a refugee is someone who flees a country and goes somewhere else because they think there's a better life wherever it is that they're leaving, or they're told to leave their country and they can go wherever they want. An exile is different. An exile is someone, and here's a more clear definition of it, but an exile is this. It means mass deportation of large groups of people, usually for political purposes, frequently to destroy the power of an enemy nation and this, to prevent rebellion. So I'll summarize it with something that's not as technical. If somebody is in exile, in this instance, the people of God were now being taken over by the Babylonians. The Babylonians, their way of control was, we're going to take a large amount of people that we see historically, there was about 10,000 people who were drawn out of this area. 10,000. So now they're being taken out away from their homeland and then brought into Babylon because what the Babylonians wanted to do was to take the people and disrupt their family, disrupt their culture. In other words, if we could do all that, that they would not be able to become a formal enemy of us any longer. If we could just divide them up and we could just send them where we need to go, there's no way that they could rally together and, and form an army to come against us. So that was the approach that they had had. And you see, and we will see, how the hand of God works through all of this, although the people of God are in exile. And although they, they don't really know all of what's going on other than this message, because this is a, a totally different experience than what they had had before. But I want you to know this, the people of God have always been considered people of exile, longing for our heavenly home. We've all, we're all people of exile. Here's what I mean. I'm going to summarize all of the Bible. You can set a stopwatch. I can summarize all the Bible with these phrases. Set a stopwatch. I'd really like to know how long it takes. God created a home. It was called Eden. 
God created a family to live in that home, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve blew it and they sinned. God sent them out of Eden into exile. People lived in exile. God promised those people that they, one day that they would be able to return home. We're past Genesis 3 at this point, by the way. God prepared people to return home for good. He did that through much of the Old Testament. He's preparing their hearts for when they return home. New Testament. Jesus gave us a narrow path that tells people the way home, and that's the Gospels. God told people how to wait until they can finally get home. That's Paul's letters. And how to get along. And then Revelation tells us that all of us who are in Christ will eventually be home. That's the Bible. Good morning, let's pray. All right. That's, that's the arc of the Bible. But it's one of the people, all of us, in exile. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they were kicked out of Eden. They were kicked out of paradise. And they could not return. And yet we're told in the New Testament that God is making all things old. Is that what it says? He's making all things new. I don't know what, what all of that means, but what I do know is this. We have the reality that, that we can live in the reality of Christ and the gospel message now, but yet there's, there's a, a not yet part that we've yet not reached. So we live in the now and the not yet. But the people of God have always been people of exile. We've always been people of exile. The message for the people of God with the oppressors, the Babylonians in there, I think, is a very similar message that we need to hear today. The message for them was, if they live in fear of man, they will be miserable in Babylon. But if they live in the fear of God, they will live comfortably in Babylon. This is Babylon. Not in the literal sense of the, the, the sense in Revelation, but what I'm saying is we are in, living in the middle of a, of a warring culture, in a warring country, and what we do here matters. That if we're going to become kingdom people, we're going to be people very similar to what God told Jeremiah to tell the people of God in the middle of Jerusalem. The life that they were to live is, is not to go and hide in fear, but instead, what was it in verse 5? Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into, into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, the city, for if it prospers, you prosper. You know what God did not say to them and what he's not saying to us? Go and hide. He's not telling us to go and hide. He's telling us that we have things to do, and the best thing we could do is fear God and love him and get to know him more. 
Under God's guidance, the exiles were urged to live normal lives and to wait. They were waiting in submission to God, knowing that he was going to deliver them in time. However long that may be, they had no idea how long it was. Like, ultimately, knew there was going to be 70 years. But things didn't go peachy even after that seven years, 70 years. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to go to the right into the New Testament, almost to the end of the New Testament, into 1 Peter. You're going to see some similar themes. You may say, well, Pastor, this, everything we just talked about is Old Testament. How does this have to do with us? I'll tell you how it has to do with us. Glad you asked the question. 1 Peter 2. It's a very similar message to a group of people who are being persecuted, scattered Christians. Peter sends this message to them, and he also sends this message to us. It's 1 Peter 9 through 12. But you are a chosen people. This is to Christians, by the way. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? He doesn't use the word exiles, but he uses, Peter uses these two words, meaning a similar thing, aliens and strangers in this world. In other words, a group of people living amongst the world that's not going to view the world necessarily like the rest of the world views itself. Because we have the mind of Christ. Because we have the Holy Spirit of God. But because we're kingdom people, we're not going to run and hide. We are going to use the influence that God has given us to bring good into the world and to glorify God. Because that's what the Word of God tells us to do. Recently, I, I, I was really struck by this quote. And this quote was known as the, the Breton Fisherman's Prayer. The Breton people were a people who were annexed into the French in 1532 little bit of history. But there's this, this group of people, and they're coastal people, which meant they were fishermen, those kinds of people. And prior to the fishermen going out to sea, there was a common fisherman's prayer that was actually it was taken out of a poem, but it said this, Dear God, be good to me. The sea is so wide, and my boat is so small. I love the word picture here, not just because I was a Navy man like multiple years, lifetimes ago. But I love the word picture here because 
in some way we all feel like our boat is too small. In some way we feel like the task at hand is too small. In some way, if we're honest, we all probably feel like Jeremiah, that we're bringing a message or we're the messenger or we're receiving a message and we too feel like, God, please just be good to me because I've received this message. It seems like the sea is so wide and my boat is so small. My life is so insignificant and it's so turbulent and I've I've got health problems. I've got financial problems. I've got work problems. I don't even know what I'm going to do for reliable work in the future. I have... I don't have a home that's established and firm right now. I like, feel like my life is in limbo. Every one of us, whether right now or in the past or in the future, will all feel like the task is too big and our boat is way too small. Can we be honest this morning and, and maybe just admit that? To ourselves, to God, to each other. Who feels overwhelmed this morning? Thank you. Overwhelmed by circumstances, maybe something that's that's happening to you, maybe something that you've done to yourself, or maybe something that somebody's doing to you, or you're in the middle of a health scare or crisis and you're trying to put it all together. God knows. God cares. God loves. And even in the midst of that, God wants you to be a person of his kingdom. Would you stand with me? What makes this message so rich is that even in the midst of our circumstance and even in the midst of maybe the moment where we feel like we're really small, even in the midst of of not knowing exactly what to do or how to do it, and we feel lost so much of the time, even in the midst of all of this. And we say, God, my boat is just too small. Could you please protect me? Could you please help me? That doesn't keep you from being used by God. That doesn't hinder you from being used by God. Instead, as as you trust that to God, God fortifies and he strengthens your faith and he strengthens your faith and you keep going. And, And God uses these circumstances as you lean into him to inspire other people whose boat is too small. Jeremiah He's prophesying, ministering to a group of people who were in the middle of the unthinkable. Pastorally, I can say for for you and I, many of us, we feel in a very similar way. What's going on in the world, what's going on in our world, in some ways it's the unthinkable. As you have the opportunity to respond this morning, What do you need to tell God? Do you need to tell him, God, I've made a mess of my life. I I confess that. I'm repenting of that. I want to be on the right track. Then the altar's open. For you, maybe it's just, you, you 
feel the burden and urge just to, to pray for our country. Please pray. Maybe it's to pray for our local officials. Maybe you disagree with some decisions that are being made. Instead of talking about them, and instead of doing all of that, how about we actually go to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to see what he can do? Well, there's time for that. Maybe for you, you just, you, you just need to pray where you are, pray at the front and just praise God and say, God, I'm not where I once was. And I praise God that you brought me through it because my boat was way too small and the task was way too large. But God, you showed up in a big way. What is God moving in your heart to do? What is it? As we respond, obey God's leading, whatever it may be.